Welcome to the Nen Valley Vineyard podcast. What you're about to listen to is some teaching from our Sunday services. We're a church made up of people from Wellingborough through to Oundle spread across the Nen Valley and beyond. If you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved, visit our website, which is nenvalley.church, or you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Nen Valley Vineyard. Well, um, so my, my name is Tom, for those who don't know, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, so uh, last week, for those who were here, we started this series called Transformed, and it's really, I'm going to rattle through this as quick as I can, because I'm aware of the time and the kids. Um, asking the question, you know, when Paul says things like, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is one of those kind of... <laughs> fridge magnet Christian verses that gets passed around. The question really is, well, how do we do that? How do we change? How do we be transformed? Um, and specifically, how are we transformed into the image of Christ that others might see Jesus in us? And this is, um, when you read through the biblical story, you start in Genesis 1, and it says that we're created in the image of God to reflect his image to others. Interestingly, that word image, when I don't know what you think of, I, when you say the word image to me, the picture that comes to mind automatically is maybe like a Polaroid picture or something like that. That isn't really what's going on. It's a word, selem, which means carved. The only other place that word is used in scripture is when it's talking about idols in other gods' temples, which is weird, right, to use that same word. But this, there's this sense of that is what, what is implied is that we are supposed to reflect God's image to the world around us in a way that they might encounter him through us. Does that make sense? There's something deeper going on than we read in English. <laughs> okay. um, and the best analogy I could kind of find for all of this is it's a little bit like when the fall happens, when the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and um, they, kind of, they do the one thing God asked them not to do. Um, and sin enters the world and all that stuff. It's a little bit like if we are reflecting God to the world, it's a little bit like reflecting in a mirror now that has been broken. That actually every person still reflects something of the goodness of God, but it's a broken image. And this is why, for me, you know, you can look at people who don't know Jesus and you would go, they are doing good things that reflect the kingdom of God. So think about people that do great humanitarian work and things like that. I don't think the world is as simple as it, good people, bad people. The reality is everybody needs Jesus. Um, but when Jesus comes, he comes as the image of God. And we are called to follow him. And there's this restoration process of us trying to be transformed to the image of Christ once again. And when I talk about you know, spiritual formation, being formed into that image, I'm not talking about becoming more religious or more pious or any of that language. I might be talking about becoming more holy. That's slightly different. But actually, it's... It's discovering, actually, what does it mean to really be human again? To discover humanity as God created it to be. So what does it mean to be somebody who's peaceful and joyful and can resist anxiety and worry? What does it mean to be somebody who is um, aware enough of the presence of God that actually the power of God can flow through them? There's all these things. It's not just about us being better behaved Christians. It's about us rediscovering who God called us to be. And we've been using this phrase. There's a book called Invitation to a Journey by a guy called Robert Mulholland Jr. 
and I'd recommend anyone read it. It's not an easy read. It's like a, quite a thin book. It took me a long time to read it because as Ash will tell you, I read a sentence in a book and then I have to sit and think about it for a while. So like if you give me a book to read, I apologize if you just never see it again. It's probably still sat on my bookshelf waiting for me to finish that book I started last year. Um, but he describes it, the, the spiritual formation journey is this. Spiritual formation is one, a process, two, of being formed, three, into the image of Christ, four, for the sake of others. And in a sense, it's that last bit that strikes me, the, the bit that's often missing. Because I think when we talk about spiritual formation, we're talking about God just making us better somehow. But the end result isn't just that God makes us better, it's actually that people see Jesus in us as we are changed. Um, and last week I made this, this statement, which spiritual formation is not just a Christian thing that we have invented. Spiritual formation is something that happens to every human, whether they know it or not. That you don't opt into spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is something that happens to all of us, all of the time. Um, so I do want to keep it brief and I do want to involve the kids. And I mean, they're already involved. I mean, I don't think... I so, I can make use of you guys now you're here. So, can I, I need you, Elsie, Keris, Ada, any other kids want to volunteer to come and be involved in what is bound to be chaos right now? Oh, Ada's off. Okay, they've quit already. Can I, how many have we got? Two of you. Right, can you stand up? I need you to come stand here. No? Keris, do you want to come stand here? Never work with kids and animals? Yeah? yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. Do any kids want to come in, like... Do this bit. No? Yes? No, Dylan, you're like, maybe? No? Any at the back? No? You, okay. Dylan, I just need you to come be Jesus. You can just stand still. Just come and stand right here. Even though you're wearing a Newcastle top, you can still be Jesus. No? Okay. You don't want to. That's fine. Okay. So, I do want to introduce um, a piece of sociology, which is exciting for everybody, I know. Um, to us, which is called the bounded set and the centered set. Uh, have we got the image of the first one? The bounded set. So, um, just to explain this briefly, this is how a lot of churches are kind of set up, um, where in the middle you have the church leadership, and they at some point decide who is in or who is out, um, who is good, who is bad, who is right, who is wrong. Um, I think this often is the way churches do what we call discipleship and, you know, relating to Jesus. The tricky thing for us is I don't think that this is how Jesus operates, particularly. So, interestingly, we might say that people pray a prayer, pray, you know, pray the prayer, they give their lives to Jesus. That's a good thing. That might be an in and out thing that we might experience. But have you ever come across people who they're kind of saved through osmosis? When you come across these people, they're kind of like, they just hang around. And then at some point you realize, they realize that they love Jesus. And nobody prayed a prayer with them. And they're in. Um, um, oh, sorry, I've got a small child. My own child. <laughs> um, it's going to get sat on. Um, the model I think Jesus reflects to us is this thing called the centered set, which is a couple of slides on Tim. Um, where actually in our lives, Jesus is at the center 
And it's not so much a question of whether you are in or out, although there is a reality to the in or out. The question Jesus would ask is, are you headed towards me or away from me? So the image I was going to do, I was going to get one of the kids to stand here. In the New Testament, you could make the case that Jesus and a Pharisee, in lots of ways, are quite similar. Both Jewish, both took the law seriously, both uh, took religious practice seriously. There's lots of things in common. The problem is Jesus and the Pharisee are headed away from each other a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think as, as Christians, our, our temptation is let's all try and look the same um, so that people know that we're Christians. I think what Jesus instead invites us to do... Oh, this is Jesus. Okay, hello. Um, is actually wherever somebody is in their relationship to Jesus is that some people are going towards him and some people are going away from him. And for us on our journey towards Jesus, there are moments where maybe we're headed towards Jesus. But at other points, there's parts of us that are battling with headed toward, being headed towards Jesus. Does this make sense? So it's not so much are you in, are you out, are you well-behaved or are you not well-behaved? It's when Jesus says, come follow me, are we following him? And I just wanted to put that across, because when you think about people like Zacchaeus in the Bible, he's an interesting one. So Zacchaeus is the guy up in a tree, a tax collector, not looked on terribly well by the guys in the synagogue, I would imagine. Okay? But actually, it's not even that, that Jesus is aware that he's there. Jesus calls him down from the tree and restores him. That actually, the, the people that in the church, we might say, no, you are outside, not inside. Jesus draws them towards himself. Um, and I, as we talk about spiritual formation, there is a sense that there is something about this that is kind of freeing. And actually, for all of us, it's about Jesus being at the center, not the expectation of other Christians as such. Some of those things will be very similar and very the same. Some of those things, so can I say this is a controversial statement. Some of the ways we behave as Christians are rooted in very Western English ideas, not necessarily the Bible. They're not necessarily wrong, but I wouldn't want to say somebody is or is not doing a good job of following Jesus based on those things. And I would say if, if I was to highlight somebody in Scripture who does a good example of showing the tension of being drawn to Jesus and not, if you look at the story of Peter, Peter's a classic for this, um, one day he is denying Jesus, and a couple of months later he is leading 3,000 people to follow Jesus. Okay, the, for each of us in our journey towards Jesus, we will have good days and bad days. The bad days we are not cast out from Jesus. Okay, he just wants to call us back to him. So last week I said, was talking about actually what are the things that form us, that don't form us to Jesus, but they might form us to other things. The reality is if we're not being formed into the likeness of Jesus, then we're being formed into other things. So those things were the stories we believe. So this is quite a grand idea. But COVID was, the good, was a good illustration of this, whereby depending on what news outlet you read, what scientists you listened to or didn't listen to, you could fall in a number of places in the COVID experience. One would be, uh, this is all made up, the government is trying to control us. I'm not giving any opinions here, just to clarify. 
that actually this is you know, a, a scheme of the government to see what they can do with the human race. On the other extreme was this is going to kill us all. And probably most of us are somewhere in that spectrum rather than at either extreme. But the stories we believed about COVID actually shaped how we behaved about it in all sorts of different ways, whether we got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated, whether we socially distanced or didn't. Actually, it was the story that we believed about COVID, not the facts, because I don't think any of us could get the facts. That was the thing that shaped us. The next was habits. Um, so the things that we do often and regularly, actually how they impact our hearts, not just our minds, the relationships we have, and the, ultimately the, those things form the environment that we are in. And this week, I just want to, as we talk about actually what does it mean to be formed by Jesus, talk about four kind of alternatives to this. Some of them are quite close. So the first is teaching. And teaching is more than me talking to you in this weird lecture-style setup, right? Uh, practices is another in place of habits. Uh, replacing relationships with community, and I'll differentiate those in a minute. And all of this, needs, we hope, is formed around the Holy Spirit's leading. And all, I should say, all of this is just to help us understand. I've, somebody said to me, this looks look slightly like the occult, and I apologize. It's just a diagram that I made at 11 o'clock last night to try and make this make sense. So the first thing, then, is teaching. So replacing the stories we believe with teaching. Teaching can happen in all sorts of ways. Okay, so maybe it's in a setting like this. Maybe it's in a small group. Maybe it's you reading scripture for yourself or listening to a podcast, or talking to a friend over coffee. This can happen in all sorts of ways. The point is, we want to be redirected and redirected and redirected to the story and the way of Jesus, so that we're not believing other stories. Does that make sense? And later in the year, we want to explore some of the narrative of Scripture, and I can almost guarantee every single one of us will be offended by Scripture when we do that. And I would say that if Scripture is not somehow offending you at different points and the people that teach you are not somehow offending you at different points, um, then you're probably not engaging that well with it. And it is a difficult and ongoing task. But we want Scripture to inform our lives, but we want it to transform our hearts as well. We want it to change how we live and how we love and maybe how we disagree with others, how we make the choices we do in life. But, you know, the, the idea of teaching just as information, information will not change us. And this is the great lie of our modern culture, which is everything we know up here will change and shape us. But that's not true, because if this up here works like that, we wouldn't have issues with addiction. We wouldn't have issues with loneliness. We wouldn't have issues with all sorts of stuff. That when the, the Bible talks about where change happens, change doesn't happen in your head, it happens in your heart. Which is not your literal heart, just to clarify. But actually, when we come to the Bible, the invitation isn't just for us to know more information about the Bible. It's to meet the one who inspired the authors to write it and have the Holy Spirit breathe upon us and change us. So the next thing is practices. So re replacing our habits, some of which we choose to do, some of which we don't choose to do, um, change, replacing our habits with intentional practices. These sometimes are called spiritual disciplines. Can I get hooray off all of you when I say spiritual disciplines? Okay. Spiritual disciplines, though, for me, are more than just praying, singing in worship, and reading scripture. I think there's more to it than that. 
And when we talk about practices or spiritual disciplines, if, you, if that's something you're like, oh man, he's going to talk about that stuff and I feel guilty because I don't do it. Could I just free you from guilt as your pastor? I'd rather you didn't feel guilty about it. I'd rather you were able to be honest about it and be in relationship with others and talk about it. So I am, the, the thing I've done the longest in my life is be a musician. As you can tell from my horrendous voice. <laughs> I play drums, right? Give me a break. It's all right. I don't do this normally. I play drums. Um, so for me, sung worship like we did this morning is great because I love music. For some of us, you are like, when will the weird Christian karaoke end? But you might find God when you're on a mountaintop. You might find God forming you as you serve others. You might find God in simplifying your life. There's all sorts of other ways that we can encounter God. And actually, when you look at Jesus, I don't think he has a one-size-fits-all. I think that's the church trying to make sense of everything. But I would encourage you, as we go into the practice, to give everything a try. And to be honest, you may be surprised by some of those things. Um, I don't want to say too much. We will talk about all of these things more. But it is about knowing our place in the formation that God is doing to us. So um, Augustine of Hippo, one of the church fathers, prays this prayer. Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. There is a sense in spiritual formation that there is this sense of discovering who we are and who God has created us to be. And actually, we can't... Transformation into the, the image of Christ is difficult without acknowledging that we are this person that God knit together in our mother's wombs, all the things that scripture talks about. And I love that centered set model because I don't think we all come out looking like cookie cutter Christians, driving Volvos, eating quiche, wearing like uh, khaki colored chinos, whatever the thing is. At one point it was like fedora hats, that seemed to be the cool thing in the cool churches. I don't. It's just, I'm never going to wear one. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, then, oh man, um, I might have to, I suppose. But the point being, actually, it's about each of us on a unique journey towards Jesus. And I don't think any of us come out looking one particular way or the other. The hope is that we look like Jesus in the way that he leads us to look like him. We spent a bit of time last year in um, the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, really briefly, is like either one sermon or a collection of sermons in the book of Matthew, so Matthew 5 through to 7. And Jesus kind of goes through this great list of really practical stuff, murder, adultery, divorce, making oaths, uh, revenge, loving enemies, uh, giving to the poor, prayer, fasting, resisting greed, resisting worry and anxiety, judging others, what to do with false prophets and beware of them. There's all this stuff in this sermon. But before he launches into this sermon, he says this, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He gives the sermon. Right at the end, he finishes with a familiar story about the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the other guy who built it on sand and should have talked to a builder. What he says here, he says, he finishes by saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. He starts and he ends this sermon by, this isn't just information. 
It's the people who practice this that are changed. So we don't do spiritual practice because they're fun, because often they're not that fun. Often I'd be much happier playing football, or attempting to play football, at least. But I think we're called to them because God wants to do a work in us. And just a couple of thoughts on the word practice. One is obviously then that following Jesus and becoming more like him is not just the spectator sport. He invites us to participate, you know, ultimately to preach the gospel, to demonstrate the kingdom, and to live in a community as the kingdom. But practice also means that we're learning. That's the other way we use it in English, to practice something. If you are going to run a marathon, I've only ever run a half marathon. It was a disaster. So I know about these things, right? Is that how this works? If you run a bad marathon, you suddenly know about them. There's two options with running a marathon. One is you just go and try it. And the other is you train for it and you practice. Now, having done my half marathon with nowhere near enough training, I can tell you it doesn't work very well. Right? I got around, but by the end, I mean, I was pretty much just like dragging myself along the floor by one arm, trying to get over the line, right? That we can just go and try it and do everything all at once. Or we can embrace the fact that this is a process that Jesus wants to take us on and practice those things and try them and see how he might lead us. And we'll have good days, we'll have bad days. Jesus is a gracious, good teacher. He knows we have good days and bad days. The third thing is community. Okay, so teaching, practice, community. Jesus is building his church. He's not building a bunch of individuals. And in this community... Uh, we, we recognize we need one another, sometimes to pick us up when we're down, some, to encourage us, sometimes to challenge us. Sometimes we're put in relationship with one another to knock off the sharp bits on each of us. And this call to community, I think, flies in the face of the story and culture at the moment about individualism. There's, no, okay, there's, there's a side to individualism, which is fine, which is know your strengths, your weaknesses, know the things you like, know the things you don't, whatever. But there is a side to individualism which is separating us from one another. And I think it's, we're beginning to see the problems with it. Do you know in this country we have a, a politician who is the minister for loneliness? Have you come across this person? We've had to appoint somebody in, in government because loneliness is such an issue. Yeah. Since 2013. Okay. And I'm pretty sure they're called Baron Baron. I'm pretty sure that's right. Okay. So in this, this world where we're being encouraged to kind of be these unique individual islands, actually I think we need to hold true to the idea that God calls the lonely into families. And we need to be a family to one another. But that won't happen by accident. Okay? If, if we're being formed into the image of Christ or not, the likelihood, the easy path, is to just go with whatever culture is telling us to do. When Jesus comes, he doesn't just come as this great Messiah and take over everything. He comes and he calls 12 perfectly ordinary, slightly below average probably guys to this group of 12. And in that group of 12, there are, there's a guy who's a zealot and there's a guy who is a tax collector. These guys are politically and in all sorts of ways completely opposed to one another. One works for the Roman Empire. One is part of a group who go around... Oh, and there's kids in the room. I've got to say this carefully. Goes around 
doing bad things to Roman soldiers. Okay. That's gruesome and horrible. And if you need to know more, come ask me later. Okay. Being in community together, these guys lived together for three years with Jesus. There were some heated debates over dinner. There were some major fallings out. But they were called to community behind Jesus. And I think that we are too. I think kind of postmodern spirituality is we see it calls us to find the things that we resonate with. I think Jesus' invitation is to find a community where we lay down some of those things that he might work in us. It's interesting to me, I know a number of friends who I grew up with in church. Some of them have gone to like Bible colleges, done three years, whatever, Bible colleges or schools of supernatural ministry or whatever. And I keep hearing them going, well, we don't go to church. We're not really part of a community because Jesus is just doing a work in me and it's fine. Which on the one hand, I, I guess I understand, but I don't think it's the way to go. But I think some of the issue is, actually, it's not Jesus. It's issues with the church that they've had. And I wonder what it would look like if we could figure out what it is to do community together with love and not judgment. That... Um, is built around sacrifice for one another and not selfishness. That is, has, you know, does more together around food and faith and formation than rules and religion and self-righteousness and all those things. I wonder what it'd be like if we committed even to just like a weekly meal with the same bunch of people, with our kids, and you know, there's people who'd be parentish age and grandparent age, and you know, the whole lot of different cultures. Where we're doing things, we're sharing food, but we're sharing our burdens and our worries and our pain, and we're praying together and we're asking God to break in and we're meeting practical needs for each other. And we're inviting our neighbors into those things as well. I wonder what a community would look like if we could do it like that. And then lastly, the Holy Spirit. All of these things we want to be formed around the Holy Spirit, as if the Holy Spirit is like the center of gravity for all of these things. Being formed into the image of Jesus, despite what the modern church likes to put across, does not happen through a 10-week discipleship course. Being formed into the image of Christ happens by being fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I think in spiritual formation, actually it's, it's this experience where we are being formed, we are not forming ourselves. And the difference between being formed and forming ourselves is control and giving up control. And I think I really just want to finish there. That the invitation to being formed into the image of Christ is one where we surrender all of our stuff to him. Again, Augustine, he, um, this is accredited to Augustine. I don't think he said this. I think he just give, gives us the idea says this, without him, we can't, but without us, he won't. So actually, the thing for us to do is, if we can commit to things like teaching and practice and community, then maybe as we do that, 
the Holy Spirit will do all of the stuff that we cannot do. So, just to finish, should we pray? So I encourage you to stand and we'll pray. Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.